Okay, welcome to another episode of Under the Dome, a podcast where we talk about the Saints, the home of the Houdat Nation. I'm Al Warwick, your host, uh, with my partner here, Mr. Sean Williams. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Doing fantastic, man. Uh, how's things in South It's good now. It's good. Uh, football's actually starting. We had a good week of college football. We won't talk about LSU. We had a good week of college <laughs> football. My old Alamada got... Uh, Got their butts handed to them by Boise State, the Raging Cajuns of uh, UL Lafayette. Uh, but I still expect a good season out of them. This is a uh, rebuilding year for them. But the most important thing is real ball, NFL football, uh, is starting this weekend. We have our first game tonight, the rematch of Super Bowl uh, 50. The, uh, the Broncos and the Panthers, and the Panthers coach is already whining on uh, social media that, eh, I wish we could have had a home game instead of having to go on the road. You know, we're defending the NFC champions. We have to go on the road. That's what happens when you don't win. Uh, <laughs> so Tell us how you really feel. Though. Oh, well, you know, I've got a, I've got a, Poke the cage of our uh, our illustrious sponsors here to uh, to Panther fans. So why don't we go ahead and thank Fan, fan First Productions first? Uh, go yeah. ahead, Sean. Uh, our sponsors, Fan First Productions. If it's uh, if it weren't for the fans, this would just be a kids game, and we thank them for helping us to see our uh, our vision come to life. Uh, also, uh, as we've done for the past several weeks, we want to uh, encourage everyone to do anything that they can to help out for the, uh, the flood relief of uh, South Louisiana, the Baton Rouge area. Uh, we'll have some information up on our, uh, our Facebook page shortly as to, any, as to how you can, uh, you can donate uh, to the Red American Red Cross or what have you to help those flood victims in South Louisiana. Uh, also, we want to let everyone know once again that our podcast is n- now available in an audio-only version on iTunes. Which is the best version. It's the best version. <laughs> uh, I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Alan and I are pretty much in agreement. Uh, we have faces that were built for radio. Absolutely, absolutely. But it's a good thing we're smart. Uh, yeah, yeah. There we go. That's I'm, I'm gonna stick with uh, that. Yeah, that was the best spin I could think of to put on it. <laughs> okay. Also, we want to invite everyone. Uh, our very first 2016 kickoff special that we're doing Saturday night at our usual starting time of 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. We have some some special guests that will be joining us. Uh, Tony Dunn, representing the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Josh Schultz and Aaron Freeman will be representing the Atlanta Falcons, the, the evil Sith Lords. There's always two. There's always two. <laughs> a master and an apprentice. No more, no less. Always. I, I'm not going to uh, delve into which one of those is which on that. I'll, I'll have to dig deeper with the two of them to find out all of that. But anyway, we have, uh, we're doing some, some last-minute wheeling and dealing. Hopefully, we will be able to line up a, a couple more really special guests. And before the season kicks off, you never can tell who might stop by and, and pay us a visit. So we invite everyone to, to join us. That'll be Saturday night, September the 10th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time for our special kickoff show. We okay, went we Alan, went to a lot of trouble. We went to a lot of trouble to find a Tampa Bay fan. It's a rare, rare occasion. Because <laughs> if you look at the stadium. I mean, they invite a lot of empty chairs disguised as Buck fans. So please watch the show because you might never see 
a Tampa Bay fan again. Anyway. And to, and to think <laughs> about it, you know, the rarity of that magnified with the fact of having a Buccaneers fan and a Falcon fan in the same place. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, we're, Atlanta fans. We're going off the rails. That's it. The Atlanta fans. I always I always love going to play Atlanta because it's an extra home game for the Saints. Okay. All right. So now the that, next – Now we've insulted everybody that, and no one's going to show up for this podcast now? Absolutely. Now we've insulted them. Well, I've given them some ammo for Saturday night. Um, yes, indeed. Let's look at the 53-man roster, which is changing hourly. Uh, you know, we had the, we had a roster as of Saturday at three o'clock or Sunday at three o'clock. I don't even remember which day it was anymore because it's a long weekend. But we had a fifty-three man roster, and since then we've seen a lot of changes. Uh, both kickers are gone now, which is you know no big surprise. We now brought in a kicker from Tampa, and uh, I'm sorry, not Tampa, from Baltimore, the Ravens. Yeah. Uh, who actually have a great reputation for finding kickers. They uh, they franchise their kicker, uh, which is, a you know, almost insane. No one franchises a kicker. Uh, but they franchise their kicker. And then I read something that uh, Hoshka, who is kicking for Seattle, and Grand Gano, who I'm not even sure who he's kicking for anymore, both of those were guys that the Ravens had found, you know, as undrafted free yeah. agent kickers. So the Saints picked this guy up. Um, oh, I forgot his name already. Kunz? Lutz. 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 Thank you. Lutz. Okay. Will Lutz. Will Lutz. And, you know, he is an undrafted free agent. And under the recommendation of the Ravens, who John Harbaugh was a former special teams coach, which is one of the reasons why the Ravens special teams have been so good for so long. Um, recommended this kicker to the Saints. So the Saints, once again, the wheel of misfortune spins, and the kickers that we had in camp are out. A new kicker comes in, and um, we'll see. As always, you know, Mr. Lutz, rent, don't buy. Um, <laughs> also do not know how much longer are, you'll be here. We also signed a cornerback in Sterling Moore. I yes, believe, a former, a former I Tampa believe, Bay Buck. Mm-hmm. I believe he was also last active with Buffalo, correct? Yes, yes. He played with Tampa Bay, Buffalo. Uh, he's bounced around a little bit. Um, you know, Seeing like, how cool. that last Buffalo Bills defensive back turned out so well <laughs> for us, I'm glad we – I'm still hanging on Jabari Greer. I will forever hang on to Jabari Greer as somebody that – yes, Buffalo actually has some good players that have gotten better by coming to us. Um yeah, that's a I know. pretty short list, though, brother. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> but well, you know, we we released Cortland Finnegan, and I would not be surprised if Finnegan uh, is brought back uh, after Sunday's game. Um, you know, that way his salary is no longer guaranteed. They just pay him for how many weeks he stays on the roster. Uh, yeah. So, you know, this bottom half of the roster, we're going to go through this every Monday and Tuesday. It's going to be, you know, going to be a lot of turnover, a lot of tryouts, you know, a lot of people coming and going. Um, and they just constantly search for whoever can help them that week. Um, I heard that they uh, tried out Ruben Randall from LSU. Um, yes. Yes. You know, and they I actually, think. They actually had quite a paperwork outs. Um, yeah. Up Absolutely. to and including uh, former six-time Pro Bowl guard Jari Evans. Yeah, we're just going to get to Jari Evans in just a minute. Uh, I expect you'll probably see Evans come back um, probably, fully, this, probably by Saturday at the latest. Um, I'll hopefully, if they're going to sign him, I hope it comes tomorrow so he can at least practice. Um, yeah. You know, they let him go. He is an aging player. He's a declining player. But one of the reasons why I let him go was because he refused to take another pay cut. And he wanted to gauge his market value out there. His market value is pretty pretty low. Uh, uh, Seattle released him in the final cuts. Uh, and Seattle has offensive line trouble. But I expect Peyton to go back to the well one more time and see if he can squeeze one more year out of Evans and 
you know, I'm torn because I think Evans is a declining player, and you put Evans next to Streif, going to get that much out of it. But as bad as Lido has played and the problems that Turner has had getting up to speed, getting into shape, I think Turner will eventually start, possibly. I, yeah. You know, I'm hedging my bets here, but I think he will eventually start. Um, but I think Peyton's going to feel more comfortable playing Evans on the right side and Pete on the left side in the beginning because I just think they, they are just so disappointed and so frustrated with Lolito and his lack of development, his, his lack of progress. Uh, that they're well, just going to try and squeeze one more year out. At the very least, it seems to me to be a means to an end because, yeah. uh, like you said, eventually Landon Turner is probably going to be the option that they shoot for there at that guard spot. And, and I feel just like what you were saying about Landon Turner, I feel the same way in regards to Zach. And I've, I've said this several times. I feel the same way about Pete and Streif. I, I feel like before this season is up that Pete will be playing right guard, whether that be by injury or, or just whatever. I do feel like by season's end, Pete will be in Streif's um, right tackle spot. More than likely, yes, more than likely. I mean, that, that was the plan when they brought him in. Uh, whether he whether he gets there, I don't know. Just there's so much – and. Yeah, that's one of the things people were talking about this week, all this week, is, uh, you know, the weakness at guard, the weakness on the offensive line. And, uh, there was a lot of buzz for about eight hours when uh, the Packers released uh, Sutton, and uh, he ended up signing with the Bears. Um, you know, a three-time Pro Bowler there, just on the wrong side of 30, making too much money and – going to be a free agent next year. I guess the Packers decided to go ahead with a youth movement and uh, go ahead and push him out the door. Um, There's a, you know, anytime that a guy gets released, like, like sitting like Kruger, uh, they schedule these visits just by whoever they think would, they have the, the best chance of signing. There's a 70%, I think is what I saw, a 70% likelihood that the first visit they make will be the, the team that they sign with. It worked, oh, absolutely, yeah. It, it worked out you know, to our benefit with Kruger, not so much with Sitton. But, uh, well, the Bears weren't going to let him leave the building. They, they were going to do everything they could, you know, to hold him, hold him there and make him sign. Uh, because rumor was he was supposed to come to New Orleans after that. And I promise you, yeah. if he would have made it out of uh, one house place down there in Chicago, um, yeah, there was no way he was going to make it out of Airline Drive because the Saints would have done anything to keep him. Sure. And, um, and, and you got – yeah, I think that you have to bear in mind, uh, and I, I tried making this point in one of our chat groups earlier – it is what it is uh, in, in regard to Evans. You have a six-time Pro Bowler. He, is he young? No. Uh, but for lack of a better way of putting it, um, I have to look at it. Even a bad option is better than no option at all, which is basically the state of mind and the state of affairs that we're looking at at this point in time. You know, yeah, somebody to play that guard position. Evans is not the player he was. He is the greatest right guard in Saints history. Uh, I'm going to put together. I put together a uh, all-time greatest team, and I'm going to put that online shortly. Uh, and Evans is my right guard. I mean, he's the greatest right guard in Saints history. Uh, but he, he has passed his prime. Uh, sure. He is, he, he gets injured easily. Uh, he's not nearly as effective in run blocking. Uh, he struggles with pass blocking. So putting Evans there at right guard isn't going to fix the Saints' problems. It may be a better option than Lido, but 
you know, it's 50 one way, half a dozen the other, I guess, you know, combining two metaphors. Um, well, I, so I, think, I, I think about it this way. In their streets been with the team for a decade now. Yes. yes. Streep, am I remembering correctly, Streep and Evans came in together. Yes, they were all part of the 2006 draft class. I believe, I thought that's what it was. Okay. Streif, Streif and Colston were the last two picks. They were both seven-rounders. Okay, well, Streif gets his security blanket back. We've never seen Streif have to deliver without Evans deciding. I, I mean, and, and we're all, we're being subjective here. We're assuming that this is going to happen, and I won't be surprised if it does, and by the same token, I won't be shocked if it doesn't. Right, right. Well, you know, obviously the offensive line is the weakest part of the team. The strength, believe it or not, um, I think will be the front seven of the Saints defense. Um, sure. I think there's a lot of inexperience at cornerback. You know, Sean Payton was really concerned about the, uh, the pass rush, but – uh, you know, getting uh, Kruger, Paul Kruger, and let's see what he can do because we haven't even seen him play as a Saint yet. He did not play in the last preseason game. Um, let's see what he can do. But I think between him and Abali watching, you know, uh, a, uh, a revitalized or at least an interested playing, um, you know, fairly, uh, Onyemata has actually shown some things in preseason. Uh, I complimented him two weeks ago with the, um, with the Steelers game, and I watched him again against the Ravens. And the man is strong. The man, once he figures out the game of football, he is going to be a really good defensive tackle. And, you know, Tyler Davidson has had a great camp. We have not seen him play that much Um you know, on the defense because they've been rotating some of these backup players to try and see what these guys can do because, you know, they've seen enough from uh, Tyler I think Davidson. That, I think that just absolutely speaks to the to what you're saying about it being it being that big an asset now rather than being such a liability that it's been over the past two seasons because – you have Tyler Davidson. You have Sheldon Rankins coming back after uh, week eight. Week eight now. Week yeah. eight. He's been added to the IR now. But Which he is – I'm sorry to interrupt, but he is still, you know, on track to be ready to practice week six, you know, after the bye. It's just they don't have to activate him right away. They give him a couple of weeks to get in football shape. Sure. So, you know, now you're looking at week eight. So, so still not – as negative as it sounds, he will be around for the toughest part of the schedule that coming up in week eight, uh, sure. which week is, we'll talk about this on Saturday some more when we break down the schedule. But, you know, that, that stretch where they play the Panthers and the Seahawks and, you know, they, 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 and Denver, you know, that's, that's, that's a tough row, and we need sure. a healthy Lincolns for that. We're going to need all the options that we can get when we hit the second half of this the schedule which as you yeah. said we're gonna we're gonna get a lot deeper into that on saturday night in our kickoff special but as and, far as me uh, well my... i was gonna say i was gonna say one other thing too is you know the linebackers are actually a lot better than they were a year ago a healthy danielle danielle Ellaby, um you know we didn't see that much of anthony in preseason because of the injury um but I think Anthony is a lot more comfortable playing the strong side. Uh, we saw some stuff out of Subar and uh, Robinson. And, um, you know, it, what well, you saw in preseason wasn't exactly what, how they're going to be. I think he'll blitz a heck of a lot more. And uh, we've seen some coverage skills out of these linebackers. Much like you just said about the defensive line, I think that the depth at linebacker is also going to be much, much better and much more to our benefit. And as I see it now, now you, you're more knowledgeable about this than I am, so you can correct me if I'm wrong here. But the depth that we have on the front seven, the depth that we have with the linebackers and the the coverage skills of the linebackers as well, even though that we have 
even though we have such youth in the secondary, what we have on the front seven and in the linebackers should be able to buy them a little bit of time to grow and to mature. You know, the only thing I worry about is uh, what the what the, the uh, Steelers did in uh, the third preseason game, which would be a problem for this defense. Uh, you saw either uh, Roethlisberger in a shotgun or taking a three-step drop and getting rid of it and short passes underneath. And if there's one missed tackle, you know, the yards after the catch were killers. And they were able to march down the field pretty easily against our defense. Um, that will be a concern because I think that's what you'll see the Raiders try and do that opening game. I yeah. don't, as much as they like the vertical game, as much as they like to challenge, uh, you know, the cornerbacks, and I think Devin Bro is going to be matched up against Armani Cooper most of the game, and that's going to be a hell of a battle to watch. Uh, they'll try and agree. shake him. I think they're going to try and shake him loose and move him over and so he'll challenge P.J. Williams. But uh, I think that the Jack Del Rio is going to try and go to a short, quick passing game, with a lot of quick hitters, and use his running game, uh, a lot of draws up the middle, a lot of pitches to the outside to try and challenge that defense vertically uh, in the short game and also horizontally with uh, with the outside game. You know, see if they can get to the edge, see if they can get the corner and challenge those linebackers. So it's going to be important that front seven really flow and cover extremely well and pressure sure. the quarterback, get their hands up, knock balls down, you know, so they have to go well, to a deeper drop. I think that the biggest factor there, as far as what you're talking about, is going to be the difference between Derek Carr and Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger knew what he had to do, and, and Tomlin, they prepared very well for the Saints. They didn't give the the front seven the opportunity to become a factor in that game because it mm -hmm. was like screen pass, screen pass, deep ball, screen pass, flat pass, screen pass. And every quarterback that we play is not going to be as effective at doing that as what Roethlisberger is because, I mean, how many quarterbacks are there in the league that have the experience that Ben does? Well, how many elite quarterbacks are there in the league? And that's something sure. we're going to talk about a little bit when we get to Drew Brees' contract demands. Uh, there aren't that many. So, you know, a quarterback like, um, you know, Derek Carr, who is becoming a maturing, possibly elite quarterback, you know, you are going to see them try and challenge the Saints every which way they can, much like they did with Roethlisberger. But – you're right. I don't think he has the weapons or the experience to do all the things that uh, that they want to do. Um, and, and there's one other, you know, we talked a little bit about the secondary. I think the secondary, as young as they are, um, the secondary has the potential to be uh, the best part of the defense if P.J. Williams matures quickly Sure. Recover has, you know, has short term memory loss when it comes to getting beaten for plays. Uh, and Bird, Harris, you know, Vaccaro, even Harper and Bell all play to their potential because I think you'll see all five of them out there. I think you're going to see uh, Harper coming in a lot of packages, especially running packages or blitz packages where he's going to come in as kind of a fourth linebacker and yeah. blitz car a lot uh and with something else we did not see much of at all in the preseason so yeah they're not gonna, gonna i don't feel like um alan wanted to tip his hand at all in terms of that but make no mistake um i do believe that there's going to be a learning curve for that secondary i mm -hmm. really do and you know i i may be beating a dead horse <laughs> could continually bring in this uh, this example up. But I think about last year, how the first home game against Tampa, how Delvin Bro lost that ball in the lights, 
ESPN ridiculed him and, I mean, just absolutely humiliated him over that play. And you fast forward to week 17, he's one of the the best corners in the league. It's it's just a learning curve. These guys are going to – they're young. They're going to have to learn. And, unfortunately, a lot of that is going to come learning the hard way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I, I gave uh... – I gave uh, Bro a lot of flack because of his inability to cover the simple rubber out, especially, you know, within the five yard um, in the red zone, within five yards of the goal line. Um, and, and he kept seeing that again and again and again. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if someone tried on him again next year, uh, this, this coming Sunday. But, uh, you know, he, just like the, the, the uh, example you gave of him losing the ball in the lights, he quickly – got over that one and I think he's going to be a lot better on the rub routes he's gonna be a lot better on the inside slants uh he has been deadly on the sideline routes using the sideline as kind of an extra defender and forcing the receiver either to catch the ball out of bounds or try and fight through bro inbounds and uh, you know I think bro's just an outstanding cornerback no, he just has that he learning is. curve. He just has a he has a strong he has a high learning curve he has to get, and you can only get that by getting better and getting targeted. Um, I I tend to watch the positions that I played when I was in the game <laughs> more than I do others, and, and I played cornerback. I was a cover corner, and I watched Bro last year, and there's only one defensive back that comes to my mind in terms of their development from the beginning of their first year to the end of their first year. There's only one defensive back, and he wasn't even a corner. He was a safety. That their development came along at such a brisk pace, and that was Ronnie Lott. Well, he's not a hitter like Ronnie Lott, but, yeah, he uh, – you know, you look at the Saints' history of cornerbacks, and uh, we have not seen a corner play to this level ever. Um, I mean, the, the best corner in Saints history goes back to the uh, 1967 team, Dave Witzel, because uh, he was a former, he was a former bear. He had 10 interceptions in one year. Um, and that record has never been broken. Um, you know, Sharper got nine in 2009 and we thought that was the most incredible thing we ever seen. Imagine 10 in a 14 game season. And um you know, he was playing straight man-to-man coverage because that's what yeah. he played back then. Um, yeah. You know, the only time that you saw teams start to go to the zone was when they had to play the Dallas Cowboys and they had to play um, uh, Lester uh, – not Lester Hayes. Um, Dwayne no, Thomas. No, Dwayne. not Dwayne Thomas. 22, uh, fastest man on earth. Um I know it's Haynes Hayes. I can I can picture the man's name. I, I can picture his Bob jersey. Bob Hayes. Bob Hayes. Thank you very much. Bullet Bob. Bullet, Bo- Bullet Bob Hayes. Thank you. But uh, that's why the zone defense was invented was to cover a guy like Hayes because no man could run with him man to man. And that yeah. was back in an era where you could jam a receiver all the way down the field as long as the <laughs> ball wasn't in the air. Lester Hayes. And then. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. See, Lester Hayes was the defensive back. I was thinking of um, the Jack, man covered in Stickum. Jack Tatum. Uh, Jack Tatum, the assassin. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and then a couple other things, real quick, and then we'll move on. Um, you know, the other strongest part of this roster is definitely the uh, the receiving core. I think Sean Payton has assembled. Uh, a receiving core for Drew Brees, unlike any he's ever had. And that includes the 2011 and 2009 teams. Um, I agree. Just in the top three weapons he has with Michael Thomas, Brandon Cooks, and uh, Willie Sneed, uh, you've got three of the best receivers that at one time that, um, that Drew's ever had to throw to. So if we can protect him long enough – for these routes to work, I think you're going to be able to see a lot of yards after the catch. I think you're going to see um, some explosive plays coming out of five and ten yard passes. You, it's not necessarily going to be, 
you know, I really like the money shots. When it gets to about midfield where they take that deep shot, uh, I think you're going to see a lot more yards after the catch than you ever saw with any other Saints uh, receiving core, especially if C.J. Spiller ends up being as healthy as he appears to be in preseason, and he can be that joker. He doesn't have to be Darren Sproles. He doesn't even have to be Reggie Bush. He just has to be a quicker, uh, more elusive Pierre Thomas. And yeah. Um, I think you can get that out of Spiller. Um, I th- you know, I don't know what Ingram's going to offer other than he's going to be a good safety valve as a pass catcher. Um, you know, Ingram is Ingram. You know, you're not yeah. going to see anything different than what we've seen so far. Um, he's not an explosive runner. He's not a uh, a guy when he gets to the secondary is going to outrace anybody. He's just someone uh, that is just steady and dependable when it comes to running plays. You know, some people may say he is like the old back that Hokie used to joke he was. If you need three yards, I'm going to get you three yards. You need five yards, I'm going to get you three yards. You know. (laughs) He was always – he said, I was deceptively fast. (laughs) Yeah, and I think – Nobody could, could imagine that I was as slow as I was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, then you throw Kobe Fleener in the mix. Um, you know, Chris Manhurts made the roster because um, the Who Man got put on IR, which was not a surprise to anybody. Um, Chris Manhurts is a uh, former basketball player, so he's got, you know, the Jimmy Graham reputation um, as far as a possible pass catcher in the red zone. Uh, I don't know if he's much more of a blocker. I know Fleener is not a blocker. Uh, so, you know, I, I I still think at some point the Saints will probably entertain bringing in another tight end. I know they had Jack Tab in um, earlier, but, you know, they didn't sign him. So, you know, depending on how the offensive line looks, how the short yardage stuff looks, uh, you may end up seeing Manhurts get replaced or fourth – you know, tight end brought into the uh, brought onto the roster, just as a blocking, purely a blocking tight end. Well, for me, I, I, as far as the strongest and the weakest, to me, the receiving core was the strongest of the uh, the fifty three man roster. Uh, from top to bottom, you go from Brandon Cooks, Michael Thomas, uh, Willie. Yeah, Willie Willie Sneed. Yeah. Tommy Lee Lewis, which looks to be a very, very promising young man. And I look for big things out of him if he's able to get reps and to get touches, which with Drew Brees, that's never a problem. Question the is time, I was gonna say the question is whether he's gonna be active this week. Um, you know, they only activate four receivers on game day. So it's going to be between, be between him and Coleman, which one's going to be inactive that week, uh, depending on the matchups. So I'll be interested to see if Lewis actually plays. They, uh, they activate him this week against the Raiders. Uh, he is playing at home, so they know they and they have some things they can do with him. But the Saints did pick up seven running have seven running backs on the roster right now. They brought back uh, Cadet. You know, you still have Murphy. You still have Lasco. Uh, you still have Hightower as well as Spiller and Ingram. So, you know, and then Kuhn as your blocking back. So I, I'm I'm curious to see who gets deactivated this week uh, and who's going to be returning kicks. I have a feeling Murphy is still going to be out there returning kicks. Okay. Looks like, looks like Sean froze there. Um but uh, while he's trying to come back, uh, we'll talk about one other position real quick. Um, Some, someone oh, like Tommy Lee Lewis and Lasco as an alternative. I don't, I don't look for there to be any margin for error in the return game. You know, the only thing I worry about when it comes to return game is Murphy putting the ball on the ground again. Um, or just carrying it like a loaf of bread too far away from his body instead of high and tight. Um, 
you know, that, that's, that's, his, that's his negative. He needs yeah. to protect the football because they're going to give him plenty of opportunities. Now that the kickoff touchback rule has moved to the 25-yard line, you're going to see a lot of teams kicking short rather than just kicking out the end zone uh, to try and pin teams uh, inside the 20 on kickoffs. So it's going to be important to have an explosive kick returner who has solid hands and can get up to speed very quickly. So they will have to end up kicking the ball out of the end zone rather than risk a big return. Well, I mean, you saw what what Murphy could do when he was – when he returned the kicks and he held on to him, he, he, yeah, he is explosive. No, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, and, and then Tommy Lewis didn't really touch the ball much in kickoff. So you have that issue too. You know, that's why I think you'll see Murphy kick returning kicks a lot more than you saw him, you know, a year ago. I mean, uh, then you saw him per season. Go ahead. Oh, I, I've, I've been losing you. For oh, you have? Yeah, I've been losing you as well. Okay. I've, been playing, I've been playing the Temptations as well. You know, I know I'm losing you. Um, <laughs> well, well, we'll manage to get through this. Okay. Uh, All right. Okay, moving on. Uh, word is that Drew Brees is – Drew Brees – well, let me back up. Start this again. Word is that Drew Brees camp is, uh, and I use this term loosely, demanding uh, $100 million on a four-year run. Your thoughts? I've been debating with people, everybody from, uh, you know, New Orleans Saints Facebook group to the chats we're involved in to challenging people on WWL.com, you know, everywhere. Um, listen, <clears throat> you've got a lot of people who have short-term memory. They forget about the days of Billy Joe Holbert, Billy Joe Tolliver. They forget about how the New Orleans Saints, for the better part of 50 years, or where quarterback careers went to die. Um, if you think about the history of the, of the, of the uh, position, Billy Kilmer, Archie Manning, Bobby Bear, Aaron Brooks, and uh, Drew Brees. That's your five. That's your five productive quarterbacks you had. In the middle of that, you had players like Larry Chippa, Larry Chippa, uh, you know, Ronnie South, Bobby Douglas, Bobby Scott, uh, Kenny Stabler, Dave Wilson, Richard Todd. Uh, Heath Schuler. Heath Schuler, uh, the Billy Joes. Kerry Collins with a bottle of Jack, you know, Jack in his back pocket. You know, you had, uh, oh, Todd uh, Bauman. Um, you, I mean, just the, Doug Nussmeyer, who is, a, who is better known as the offensive, former offensive coordinator of the Alabama Crimson Tide. You know, you, you had Steve Walsh, Mike Buck, um, you know, the, the guys they've drafted. Gary Godowski, you know, the people don't even remember who these people are. Ronnie South, you know, people that no one remembers these guys. Babe Waffenberg, yes, Babe Waffenberg. At one time, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys was a Saints third-string quarterback in uh, in training camp, I think in 87 or 88. You know, yep. John Forcade, I got to mention him, you know. Uh, He's actually one of my <laughs> – but I digress. Well, my, my, my brother uh, actually played defensive line for Dallas Sal under Keith Forcade, his brother, John, John's brother, when he was his position coach. Anyway, but, I mean, it would just go on and on of all these horrible, has been, never were, uh, could have been quarterbacks Ever. that played for this team. Oh, I forgot about the LSU guys. Uh, you had, um, who was the kid that? You know, came from LSU, went to uh, New England. I think either Moore or Dicker had him at one point. Um, I, uh, I could picture him. He was number seven at New England. He was Tommy Hudson. 
Uh, yeah. Hudson, one time we had him as a Saints quarterback. I mean, you know, you just the, the disaster we had at quarterback. And for 10 years, now you realize now, Archie Manning has played quarterback for the Saints career-wise the longest. He's played from 71 to 82, okay? That's 11 seasons. 76, he didn't play the whole year because he was injured. Yeah. If we have Drew Brees start and play through the 2017 season, he will be the longest tenured Saint quarterback in the franchise history. That's an amazing statistic to think about. It is. It is. And, and so, I don't it's, – it's like uh, one of these room, chat rooms that you and I are both in. It's – someone brought up the point, and, and I chimed in on it as well. People have been spoiled by having Drew Brees with this team for a decade because they don't fully appreciate what he has meant to this team, to this city, to this organization – and they, it, the the point that I I brought up after the fact to that was, there's a lot of people that won't fully appreciate what Drew Brees has meant to this team and, and so on and so forth. They won't fully appreciate that until he's gone, and yeah, that's absolutely. really unfortunate. And, and I'm not I'm not blind. I know he's 37 years old. I sure. know that the decline is going to come. That's a given. You know, it, it happens to everybody. I can't throw a football the way I used to throw the football 20 years, 30 years ago. You know, um, and I'm nowhere near Drew Brees' stature. You know, um, I'm just, just a guy, you know. And the – I, I get that, okay? And I get the idea that, hey, you're committing $100 million to a 37-year-old quarterback, okay? He's asking for $25 million a year, which fits in the – and this is a simple explanation of the salary cap. It fits in the salary schedule of quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't care about age. You know, uh, Tom Brady, who's older – than Drew Brees is making $20 million a year, okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, they paid the uh, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills $90 million, okay, on a four- or five-year deal. Um, and the Buffalo Bills haven't been to the playoffs this century. They haven't been to the playoffs since the uh, miracle, you know, in, uh, in the Memphis miracle, whatever. Forward lateral. That's not really a forward lateral. Um, <laughs> music hey, City Miracle. Miracle. Music City Miracle. Okay. That you actually know, happened on my birthday. I, I watched that game, and I still am convinced that's a little lateral. Anyway, a forward lateral. You know. Well, uh, well, you had that on my birthday as well as New Orleans Saints versus Seattle Seahawks. I'm uh, sorry. Beast mode run. That was my birthday. I'm sorry about that. Um, but uh, anyway, Andy Dalton is made, has a four-year $115 million deal, okay? The Bengals haven't won a playoff game since 1990. I was in college. I graduated from college in 1990, you know, so that's how long ago that was. Yeah, I know. Cut me in half and count my rings. That's how old I am. Um, rings lie, brother. That's right. Anyway. Let me ask you, know, you a so, question. Uh, and this is strictly, I'm not going to say rhetorical. Well, okay, we froze again. Before he gets to his question, my point is, someone's going to pay him $25 million a year. And I would rather have what an agent. Okay. Should that have on what Drew Brees is going to get paid? Okay, I missed I missed the first half of the question. What was it now? Okay. And he's gone. And he, he's back again, but he's frozen. What I was just going to say, and I'm probably answering this question anyway, um, he is going to get paid that. And I would rather see an aging Drew Brees, a declining Drew Brees, 
play, finish his career with the Saints, and then retire, then you see the Saints go through a 3-13 and season and have Jets. That's the example I've been given a lot because that's a team that's a quarterback away from a championship probably. The Jets raising the Lombardi Trophy, the first one since Joe Namath, with Drew Brees at quarterback because we let him go too soon. Uh, if anything that Darren Sproles taught me was that you cannot, you know, it hurts to let a player go too soon because you have to end up watching other guys who cannot play as well struggle, you know, to fill that spot. So in my opinion, he is worth the money. I'm sorry, did did that answer your question? Were you getting ready to ask? I mean, what question were you trying to ask me? Because I kept missing the beginning. I think the more excited I get, the more likely I am to be cut off. Uh, <laughs> uh, how much should what Tom Brady makes or what Andy Dalton makes or what Andrew Luck makes, how much should that have to do with what the New Orleans Saints eventually everything. wind up giving Drew Brees? Everything. It has everything to do with it. Because I know who theoretically you it does. Who you going to pay your salary to? Okay, let me let's just let's look at this in, in real world terms, not football terms. All right. Okay. You have a job. Okay. Let's say you get paid fifty thousand a year at your job. All right. And your job is pretty demanding, but it's also competitive. A similar firm has the same kind of job, same kind of position, basically the same kind of responsibility. We're going to offer you fifty-five dollars to $60,000 a year. Are you going to take that? Absolutely. People do it all the time. I did it twice, you know. Um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have done that, you know. It's a competitive market, okay. There's, you have a talent that few people have. And a lot of people want that talent. They want the best players or the best people in their in their organization. I mean, Drew Brees is not only an elite quarterback with incredible accuracy, he is going to throw for 5,000 yards. He's going to throw for 30-plus touchdowns. You know, he's going, he is a good face for your franchise. You don't have sure. to worry about him. Getting shooting himself in the leg because he was too late out in the club. You don't have to worry about him picking up hookers. You don't have to worry about him doing anything that embarrasses your organization. Why would you not want a guy like that on your team? Plus, unlike Tony Romo or, you know, Mark Sanchez or Sam Bradford or whomever, he's a durable quarterback. Yeah. He's only missed one game in 10 years, okay? And he's 37. Look at what Brett Favre got. He went to two different teams and got to the NFC Championship with the second team, which the Vikings still whine about. But he got to the championship with that team based on his ability to play. The Vikings have never gotten back to the NFC Championship game since Favre retired. Okay, and then a young quarterback this year who was supposed to take him to the next level blows out his leg. So non-contact, non-contact drill. So absolutely, he is going to be someone who is going. People are going to offer him that kind of money. Now, the issue is, if you're going to pay him a hundred million dollars over four years, how do you divide that up? So traditionally, what the Saints have done is backload all the deals. So you have a small salary cap hit in the first year, a little bit bigger the second year. And as you get to the third and fourth year, which this is Loomis's MO, he is assuming that not only does the salary cap grow, so your impact is less, but also yeah. you've got other deals, aging deals that are going off the books. So you can better afford the higher cap figure at the end. Here's the problem. Breeze will be, let's say it's a four-year deal starting next year. He'll be 38 next year, okay? Four years later, he's 42, all right? See, I done graduated from that USL, you know, University of Louisiana Lafayette, so I can do my math. So anyway, you know, if you backload that deal, okay, 
Now you're talking about, okay, a low cap figure. We still have to figure out some way to get 25 million a year. Let's say we make it 17 or 16 million that first year, 19 million that second year. Well, now you've got the bulk of that money. You've got to pay at the back end. Do you want a 42-year-old quarterback with a 35, 40, $45 million cap figure that you can't do anything with? You have to eat it, okay? You don't want that. See, that's okay. the way that I tried to explain it to someone the other day. You're basically gambling $100 million of house money that mm-hmm. you're going to be able to field a 42-year-old starting quarterback in the National right. Football League. What you want, ideally, is you're going to want a bigger cap figure in the beginning of the contract. So he's $30 million right now. We've got 20 I think it's up to $30 million in dead money. So this cap right here is absorbing $60 million, okay, between the dead money and Breeze's contract. This cap is absorbing $60 million. Now, most of that dead money disappears um, come next year. And depending on what they do at Bird, we should be in really good shape as far as dead money. So you can afford, theoretically now, to have a $40 million cap hit for Breeze in thir- at 38. And you probably can afford a bigger cap at 39 because, remember, the cap is growing. You've got deals coming off the books, okay? Now, granted, you do have, you know, the Fleener deal. You've got, um, you know, the Armstead deal, the Unger deal, and any other new deals they may come up with you know, adding on to it, but they don't come anywhere near what Drew Brees is making. Yeah. Okay. So you have to imagine this is how we're going to structure these deals from now on. And people who are whining about that Brees will take up all the cap. You can't look at the deal as four years, 25, 25, 25, 25. It, it can't be that way. You have to look at any deal for any new free agent they sign will also be backloaded, okay? So while Breeze's number is growing, you're going to have these other deals still stay with small numbers, and then they're going to grow as Breeze's deal is shrinking, okay? So it's it's a math issue, and that's what Loomis is there for. People jump over Loomis and say, oh, he's not a talent evaluator. He, oh, he doesn't know how to draft. That's not his job. No. His job is to manage the money. That's right. Okay. His job with the Pelicans is to manage the money. Okay. He, that's all he does is structure caps. The reason why we have so much dead money is because Sean Payton did what a lot of fans always say you need to do whenever somebody's a bum, cut him. Okay. They cut Gallette. Doesn't matter what the cap says, cut him. He's not worth it. Cut Browner. He's a penalty. He's a penalty machine. Cutting. Well, you take hits for all that. Lewis can't get on the field. Uh, Keenan Lewis can't get on the field. Cut him. Doesn't do us any good. Can't make the club from the tub. So you've seen all that money build up, and that is why we have dead money. Okay, it's not because we put together bad deals. It's because we put together deals that expired before we were financially set to absorb the expiration. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to the contract, then the players contracts outlive the players. Pretty much. That's the way it's supposed to work. And you want to structure the deal. And I think what's been the, the, the thing that's been holding up this deal for so long and why they're trying to get it right now is the guaranteed money. You know, how are we going to spread this guaranteed money out? Okay, so that Breeze gets the money he's looking for, because he'll probably never see the end of this deal. He probably is going to be gone from the Saints when he's 41, 42. Okay, but when you let him go, you have to be able to afford to let him go. You can't let him be this huge dead cap money. And that's what that's the only concern I have with any deal for Breeze. Yeah, Um, there's a lot of people that see this as kind of a a make-or-break doomsday scenario where 
will wind up paying for Breeze long after Breeze is gone, and it's going to cripple this franchise. And I can and that's not I, I can understand their concerns. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I, I do understand. Well, I was going to say one last thing, and this is something else that people keep bringing up. You know, Breeze's deal does not hamper us from getting other players. You know, we've been at or above the salary cap for almost every year, it seems, since Loomis and Peyton uh, came to this team. And at the same time, we've been able to pay Unger, Armstead, Jordan. We've spent a ton of money on Bird, Gillette, Graham. You know, we've paid everybody, okay? The only players that we've lost because we didn't want to pay them Carl Nix, and really Jonathan Goodwin. And that's really about it. Evans. Well, but we paid Evans. Yeah, we paid Evans all his money. We This was the last time. And Sproles, we paid him in the beginning. We let him go, or we traded him, because we thought he was a declining player that wasn't worth the money he was getting paid. And the same thing we did with Harper, okay? And we were proven wrong with both of them, okay? So we've been able to sign players, you know, we've been able to sign anybody we've wanted to. We have been able to finagle the cap any which way to sign players. So that's a Trojan horse argument. Okay. The Trojan horse, I say it because the, the what's inside is just typical, you know, ignorance. That's what's inside that thing. It's a straw man argument. It's not a legitimate argument. We can sign anybody we want to sign if we get a chance to sign them. All right. Uh, We're almost at the end of the hour already. Um, Last last thing real quick, and then we'll talk. We're going to promote Saturday for sure because the Oakland Raiders, we kind of touched on that a little bit. you know, the matchup, obviously, the matchup problem will be the Raiders' defense against the Saints' offensive line. Will the Saints be able to get the ball out quickly? I think, you know, there's going to be some blocking schemes they're going to try, chipping backs, uh, chipping tight ends, you know, quick releases, bubble screens, screen passes, all the things that we've typically seen from the Saints to try and help out that offensive line as best they can. Sure. Um, you know, Cooper, I think, will be matched up with Burrow as much as they can. The key will be how does our front seven defensively play against that Raiders offense? If we can give up a lot of yardage, which we probably will, but force them to settle for field goals instead of touchdowns, I feel really good about the Saints. That's going to be the key. Uh, We know that the Raiders are going to have a – in with Khalil Mack and their their offensive stock is on the rise with Derek Carr. I'm not complete and Amari Cooper as well. I'm not completely sold on the offense yet. I don't know. Uh, all fairness, I haven't spent a lot of time delving into that. Uh, I'm hoping that by Saturday we're going to have uh, someone that covers the Raiders to join us. We'll get a lot more into the um, into the whole Raiders versus Saints thing in our kickoff show on Saturday. So please join us then. Absolutely. We're going to have a live be a two-hour show. We'll be able to talk a lot about a lot of different things, including previewing the NFC South. So, um, yeah, if you just cannot get enough of my voice and my rambling, and Sean's, <laughs> Sean's talking. Please join us Saturday night uh, for the two-hour uh, NFL kickoff preview uh, of Under the Dome. I want to tell, take a moment, a brief moment, to thank everyone. Uh, this is our eighth show. We've made two months, and the only re- reason that we've made it that far is because of the incredible support that we've received from the Houdat Nation, from our our loyal fans, and we can't thank you guys enough for your support. Yes. Thank you all very much. Appreciate that. All right, guys. Um, It's 9 o'clock. It's uh, the witching hour. We hope to see you all this Saturday night on 
the two-hour kickoff special for Under the Dome. And then we'll be back right after that on Tuesday to break down the outcome of the Raiders game. Uh, so Our first we'll win of that. the season. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope I'm even there for this game. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> anyway, good night, everybody. Good night.